0: Okay, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 10 and 11 today. But real quick, I want to reflect on chapter 9 to kind of give us a, uh, an outlook of where we were at and why we're going to where we're going now. Now, Genesis chapter 9 had to do with, with Noah and his family. And basically, it was the, the account of God's blessing and uh, partially of, of man's continual downfalls. See, Noah had three sons, and, and these sons were to repopulate the earth, as God made a covenant with Noah and with the world, saying that he would never flood the earth again. And God basically displayed that promise by putting a rainbow in the clouds as a sign of his promise. So looking back at what had happened was, was that God had seen enough of what was going on on the earth, because the earth had become so destructive and, and so sinful that God decided that he, he needed to flood the earth. And I'm not talking about a region, but I'm referring to the whole earth. So God had to, had to create this great flood that happened, but he only allowed a certain amount of people to live because they were the only ones that basically seemed to have been walking with him very closely. And that was Noah and his family. So he, he preserved them. So basically, he had Noah build an ark, which took 120 years. And within this 120 years, after uh, he was finished, the the flood had come, and his family was locked into the ark. And they spent about a year to about a year and a half or so in the ark before the earth had dried up. So God had decided to basically ha- he had Noah uh, take two of every animal, male and female. And basically utilized them to uh repopulate as well, and so basically what had happened was is after the time was up when when God had said it was time to go ahead and and uh leave the ark because you would reach some dry land and they met, they ended up on Mount Ararat in uh turkey and and so now, what had happened after all this Noah had taken up uh he he took up farming, and Noah had planted a vineyard and he figured out how to make wine and, and Noah, he drank it to an extent for the first time in his life and, and, and for the li- first time of, of his life as well as any uh, human life he got drunk and passed out on, in his tent and he, he passed out in his tent naked and so his son Ham had seen him and showed his two other brothers in a form of mockery and it was Shem and Japheth The other two brothers who then took a garment and then they walked backwards to cover him not observing his nakedness out of respect because what had happened was that that Noah had gotten drunk passed out naked in the tent. So he obviously didn't uh, really quite uh, understand the power of the, of the wine that he created. He didn't know what he was, what he was doing. But I made, I made it known in the previous chapter that, uh, that after a while when you start to drink a, a little bit and you start to feel a little different, it's probably good to stop while you're ahead. But unfortunately Noah didn't do that. He, he continued. He continued to uh, to carry on. Unfortunately, so I'm assuming his wine must have been pretty strong. And so after Noah had woke up and heard what had happened, he cursed the descendant of Ham, uh, Canaan. And they, okay, so Canaan was of the line of, of of Ham, his son who basically had mocked, and he basically cursed, saying that may uh, may Canaan be the servants of the descendants of Shem and Japheth. So what had happened was, for whatever reason, it was, it was Canaan that had re- received the curse. So there was probably an assumption that Canaan probably had something to do with it because his son, Canaan, was around at this time. So, But he didn't, he didn't curse him. He, he cursed Canaan, which was the nation of Canaan. And after Noah had woke up, he would gotten word of this and became angry. So after this, Noah had lived for an additional 350 years, and then he died. So now is a, we're going to venture into chapter 10. In chapter 10, it, it gives strictly the lines of genealogy from Noah's sons. Uh, that's pretty much what the extent of chapter 10 of Genesis has to do with. So uh, chapter 11, we will see the Tower of Babel and what happened there. So it's a new start on earth. And new lines of people are being made known. See, God's plan and God's hand are evident in what we will see here. So follow closely as we'll be looking at two to three different things in in chapters 10 and 11. But again, it all goes perfectly hand in hand here with the way it was put together. So let's go ahead and take a look here at uh, Genesis chapter um, chapter 10, basically. I'm going to explain... What we're looking at here. Um, I'm going to explain the three sons and their descendants. Which is referred to the table of nations. Now as God told Noah and his family to be fruitful and multiply. We can see through chapters 10 and 11 that they did just that. Which for chapter ten is strictly the names and the lines of the three sons. So that's all we're seeing here in chapter ten. So if you have a Bible and want to observe the names, uh, I'm going to spare you from, from me trying to pronounce them all, because all chapter ten is is basically just strictly the names of all the people. Uh, so when you hear the name or when you hear the term begot. Okay, so the sons of Japheth had begot and so on and so forth. That means that, that it was uh, the son, the grandson, and basically it continued through the family line. So anytime you see the word begotten in the Bible, it was basically starting with somebody who then had another child, and then they begot and begot, and then it continued to go from there. So, but what I will say is that it's pretty neat to see the names of people in the Bible. It does show proof of the genealogies. Uh, But what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down the nations of the three sons to give an idea of where they were populated rather than reading every single name um, that was written down here. Because uh, if you have your Bible, uh, chapter 10 consists of 32 verses. So, I'm, I'm going to, again, basically, uh, just give you an idea of the nations instead. And what we have here, and it starts with Japheth. Okay, Japheth was one of, uh, is the one who basically populated the European area. And Japheth's name means to enlarge. Uh, Japheth's sons scattered the majority of Europe and Russia in that whole area. Uh, but one son by the name of, uh, um, was the father of the Medes, which is what we know as Iran. And then, and then there was Meshach of eastern Anatolia, of Turkey. So we see why J- uh, Japheth was named in large. That's what his name stands for. So he had a wide covering. Of, of people around around the European area, as well as that section of Iran and Turkey, which is what we refer to as Asia Minor. So anytime you hear the word Asia Minor, it's typically going to refer to Turkey. Now we have the sons of Ham, the 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 son that basically made a mockery of his father. Uh, the sons of Ham populated the majority of Africa. Uh, we have Mizram of Egypt... And we have Cush of Ethiopia. Um, You'll see the word Cushite in the Bible because uh, Moses actually married a Cushite Ethiopian in the book of Numbers chapter 12 verse 1. And also we have Canaan, which is what we know as Israel, uh, which that was basically uh, the region of Canaan in the ancient times was the stretch of Israel through the Gaza Strip, I believe, and then also up to the Phoenician area of Lebanon. We had sons of Cush. They populated the areas of Sudan and Arabia areas. They also uh, had the Philistine territory, which was the coastal area next to uh, Israel, which were bitter enemies of, of the Israelis. And then we have Shem. We have the founder of the Semitic people, and he had five sons, which was the, the founder of the Jewish people in the surrounding areas as well, like Syria and the ancient Assyrians. And then we have his son Asher near the Tigris River where he populated. And then we have Eber, one of Shem's grandsons, which is where they, actually the word Hebrew comes from, is Eber. And so now as we carry on, this this line will be a main focus as we will be coming up to some someone by the name of Abram, which will be changed to Abraham. And through Abraham, as lineage was vital and kept watch over time uh, within the Jewish people, it leads to the one who gives eternal life, which was Christ Jesus. And I've always said, I say, praise God that no matter what our genealogy, whatever our background is, you know, he loves and wants everyone with him, because he created all people. But it'll be interesting to see who he blessed and why. But again, he blesses all who receive him. So let's take a look at what we're going to be looking at is chapter 11 here, more uh, more intently, because we will see how he deals with uh, with other things when, when man gets wild ideas on their own. So over here in chapter 11, if you have a Bible with you, let's take a look at chapter 11, verse 1 through 4. Now it says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So the Tower of Babel. This was the first account in the Bible where a rebellion was against God as a group of people, or, or maybe a small city worth of people. And the land of Shinar, it was another term for Babylon. Uh, but there was no remnants of the tower. So we don't know exactly how far they got in this structure because there's been numerous archaeological findings in these regions but nothing of the tower that I've ever heard of at least. But now there was a comment made in verse 4 that got the attention of God. It was, let's make a name for ourselves and build a city which rebelled against God when he said to spread around the earth and to repopulate Babylon w- uh, was located in Iraq, and and during these times were um, during these times were well known for their structures. They built what was called ziggurats, which was a, basically very similar to a pyramid structure, except it had steps and ramps. Um, I've been to the pyramids in Mexico built by the Mayans, and it was a very similar design. I've actually climbed up them before, and and, and the design and the and the um, And the way that it was all put together was a very similar uh, form of architecture. And then you have the Babylonians. They became one of the main worshippers of astrology. The stars and the signs and all that stuff of that nature. But considering what went on here with the tower in this region, it actually became the area where God exiled the Jewish people for 70 years as they became rebellious and disobedient. And that's something that happens hundreds of years later in the Bible. But I think it's interesting where that Babylon seemed to have a particular, um, basically a particular place that was set aside for certain things, and it wasn't exactly uh, the best place to be at times. Which one day we will see when we get there uh, in those scripture areas. But this is where it begins here. Okay, it begins, it begins as a sense of pride and recognition for man. And nowadays we have learned things that they may not have discovered, which by building a tower at the height that they were planning would have been pretty hard to do when you run out of air at such altitudes. You know, today, the, the world's tallest building today is in the area of Dubai, which stands over 2,700 feet high. Now, what God does to put an end to this is really quite interesting when we start to get prideful we we tread on dangerous waters okay they denied their walk with God to replace it with self-worth and identity and it wasn't dedicated to God. it was basically dedicated against him. they were well advanced as they were able to create their bricks and mortars okay but they obviously forgot who they were up against. Now I heard a joke one time. That, uh, it was it was a talented man who could build structures out of sand, kind of like those sandcastle builders we've seen on television. But it was somebody who could build um, he could build structures out of sand, and and he challenged God to a building contest. You know, after he built his structure, he told God to go ahead and top that, and God said, "Well, very nice job. Now let me see you create the sand from nothing." <laughs> so I, I think we forget who we're dealing with sometimes. I think of King Solomon who built the temple in Jerusalem. And and he prayed to God about it. And God said, because of your de- dedication to me, I will allow this temple to be built and I will bless it. Now when Solomon fell and and years went by with other fallen kings, the temple was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar who was king of Babylon. And it got rebuilt again. And then years later, it was destroyed again in 70 A.D. by the Romans. So the the only thing that's left of this temple is what we what's referred to as the uh, the West Wall, which is the the, the Wailing Wall of the uh, in in Jerusalem. See, God cannot be replaced by a structure or, or anything. If you have a big, beautiful house, and I suggest you thank God uh, for it and not idolize it. Now I don't know about you, but I've always been more fascinated with a tall forested mountain more than the world the world's tallest building. Okay, that which man uh, builds taking taking years and millions or billions of dollars, it can be destroyed for a few bucks, and or it could be destroyed within a matter of minutes. And I've told people this before. I could anybody could destroy something that took years and millions of dollars to build. For just a few dollars. And of course the uh, sense of uh, uh, confusion looks in. I'm like, well, it's simple. (laughs) A gallon of gasoline and a match is all it would take to to destroy what took millions of of dollars and and years and years of labor to build. But yet all it takes is one match and a gallon of gasoline to, to completely destroy what it was that man had pridefully built. So we really need to be again, when we look at the Tower of Babel, when we look at the mindset of what was going on here. We have to look at ourselves and say, Man, have we been in that position before? Was there a sense of recognition, pride? Did we want to make a name for ourselves, you know? I, I, I think most people get to that point. But again, when when I look at this I'm I'm easily reminded that, you know, God could easily detour us, which we're going to see right now exactly what he happened. Take a look at verse 5 through 9. And it says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord had said, Indeed, the people are are one. And they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. And then he says, Come. Let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there and over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is, is called Babel because there the Lord confused their language of all earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So God comes down to see what's, go, what's being done here. And he does something to throw them off. He confuses their language. So this must have been a sight to see as numerous people are working. And then all of a sudden they start saying untranslatable things. And, uh, you know, a lot of issues of existence, uh, there's a lot of issues of existence with a lot of people. And that is due to language barriers. See, today we have 6,900 languages around the world. And, And they continue to change over the years. You know, we look at the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was written in. And the Greek language is one of the most richest languages in the the world. No other language has as many words as the Greek language does. But at this time, only one language was spoken. And what it it is, we don't exactly know. uh, But many think that it was possibly Hebrew, uh, because of the names of the people from the beginning had Hebrew names. But whatever the case, God made sure that uh, His will would, would be done here. So we, we get the word Babel, which is it stands for confusion. You know, not sure how people reacted to this, but God again see, God again is merciful. We look at the scenario. And, and they on their own disobeyed God in regards to scattering the earth, as he said, to go out and be fruitful and multiply. And they said, no, we're just gonna stay here and we're gonna basically build this place. The heck with what he said. Second, they displayed distrust toward God. They, they displayed tr- distrust towards God by building this tower as if they could protect themselves from a catastrophe. And then building a tower that could, that could make their way up to him. Third, we had pride, a worldly legacy for all to see and for all to be amazed at. Now, this is the thing that can easily be looked at and, and thought that some something horrific was coming, right? But, but no harm actually came to anyone, no death or, or, or physical harm. Fear and shock, yes, I'd imagine that was a big part of it. But now we have different cultures due to it. He also allowed time and uh, a way to repent for acting out in this manner. So I wonder how many people, by chance, maybe did that. By doing this, by putting the fear into somebody, you would almost think that they would go and repent from it because they realized who was behind this. See, God separated them from each other. God didn't separate himself from them. See, when someone brings a child down in life, parents will cut off communication from the culprit. God cut off communication from the group. As someone as normal, when we see a faction start, there's always an initiator, and then there comes followers. You see, people would rather make the team than make it into God's kingdom. And I've said it before, and, and I'll repeat myself that the, the saying that if you can't beat them, then to join them is not always a good thing. Normally, if you've beaten them by normally you have beaten them by not joining them. If we want to build something, then building God's kingdom is the best thing we can build. It goes higher than any tower, and it cannot be destroyed. And I love what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. And then he said, I go there to prepare a place for you. So imagine that, him preparing a place for us. And in the Greek, it means a dwelling place. Okay, in my father's house are many dwelling places. And there is no dwelling place in the Tower of Babel. Nor is there anything, uh, nor is there anything dwelling in the region of Babylon. You know, what's interesting is if you've ever read uh, through the whole Bible before, in the minor prophet book of Zechariah, Zechariah said that the only thing that inhabits Babylon are unclean animals and unclean spirits. So basically right now, as we speak from the time of Zechariah to the time we speak, what we're looking at right now, that unclean animals, which could be typically probably uh, unclean birds, vultures, or um, other unclean animals that we'd see, snakes or whatever, um, and then of course demonic spirits. So I think that was a very interesting uh, thing that, that uh, Zechariah had made known. Because to this day in that region, Babylon is not inhabited. See, I'm going to fill you in on, on a little something here. Whenever God has tore down a city somewhere in the world that we have read in the Bible, to this day, it has never been rebuilt. And I can attest to that because I've researched a lot of these places that he said that weren't going to be in existence no more are to this day are not in existence when he said I'm tearing it down Babylon's one of them see this is the beginning of it all with it so let's take a look here in verse what we're going to see now what God does we had, we had a very short stint here of the Tower of Babel they were starting they were working they were doing their thing and God came down and confused them put a little fear into them and I, I really think that would have been something to see it caused them to, dis- to disperse so what God does, now what we see here in, in, in verses 10 through 26, he gives the descendants of Shem. So instead, again, what, what verses 10 through 26, it, again, is another section of the names of who he begot. And in verse 10 through 26, it gives the names of Shem's, Shem's descendants. And again, the, the focus was mainly on Shem. And the focus was on their descendants. As we get to one of the most important and recognized people in the Old Testament, who was Abraham. But uh, to finish off the chapter, I will read um, verses 27 through 32. But again, Abraham is a huge focus. Okay, so Abraham was one of the most influential and important people in the Bible and the Old Testament, And, and also Abraham was one of the the one person that numerous other religions, or at least a handful of religions around the world, um, have focused on. Christianity being one of them, the Jews, and also Islam. And so we have, let me see, verse 27 through 32, it says, This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the child Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. The daughter of Haran and the father of Milcah and the father of Ishka. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, his son, Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So in verse 10 through 26 here, that's that's what I just uh, uh, gave you the Shem's descendants from there, but 27 through 32 is what I just read to you so at this time his name is Abram but God will, will soon change his name to Abraham uh, Abram is meaning father now as the name Abraham is father to multitudes so, throughout the whole Bible, he is mentioned more than most of any people, which is why we see, once again, uh, the list of genealogy records. So, Abram took a wife named Sarai, which stood for uh, argumentative, or contentious, actually, is what her name stood for, which we will see later on, On but uh, her name was changed to Sarah, uh, which was princess in, in the Hebrew, or popular. And actually, it's funny, because Sarah is a very popular name around the world. And the funny thing uh, was Abram, Abram's name, being father, was given to a wife who could not bear children. In that culture, it was actually looked at as a curse on women who were barren. See, but God had plans for this couple. So Abram was a Chaldean from the land of Ur, and this was considered an important place in the ancient world. Uh, archaeologists have actually discovered that it was a pretty prosperous area. Uh, There was also vast libraries which were found, which was also in the region of Iraq. So these areas, then in in Mesopotamia and Babylon, had an emphasis on knowledge. Uh, They actually had wisdom teachers in these days, ancient day philosopher professors, uh, philosophy professors. And there was a good chance that Abraham was very highly educated, being from this region. But, But now, as for the names and people to remember, we have Lot. Lot was also on this journey as well, who was Abraham's nephew. And we will see more on him as well as we continue to go through the next few chapters. Uh, But there was a delay, which is what Terah, Abram's father's name means delay. (laughs) So we don't know why they stopped in Haran, which is basically halfway. Um, Ur to to Canaan was roughly around a 600-mile trip. And looking at the map, they actually traveled around the Euphrates river cutting from the north uh, instead of cutting across the vast desert as Haran was uh, north of Canaan on the river but looking at the actual map i could see why they would do that that was actually a pretty smart move rather than basically cutting across they they cut they they took a kind of like a long route to the north but they stayed by the river that was very smart so uh, god allowed this transition time perhaps to allow abram to move forward as a new leader, as his dad was actually leading this journey, Abram out of respect, followed the lead of his father. Now, as we will see, Ab- Abraham will be following the lead of the main father. Okay, patiently doing the Lord's will uh, during times of transition can work out fine. As as we will be better, he will we'll be better prepared to serve him when we're called. Okay, so as, as we end this chapter. We covered some pretty diverse scripture, Uh, but as always, when we see people go on strange paths, God always brings things back into his perfect will, for those who are following him, of course. But what many forget is that the calling or instruction of God, it's a sovereign call. It was never subject to debate. When I look at what was seen over the past couple chapters, we've seen vast changes in the world and also vast changes in people. Now, granted, this was thousands of years ago. We, we did not witness the changes. But what we do witness is our own changes. Some good, some bad. But transitions are easier dealt with when you know the source of our lives' transitions and that source is God. Okay, author and finisher of our lives. Looking at ourselves in this chapter, do you see yourself in the building project of the Tower of Babel? You know, some may have been going along with it so they weren't outcasted by the rest of the people. Some were probably making a name for themselves, maybe making provisions for themselves just basically in the wrong way. You know, maybe you're being called away to a place that you're unfamiliar with and you're resisting or you're delaying the process. See, changes and transitions come in so many different forms. And we've seen that when God is, was involved in everything, everything comes together. When looking at certain people in the Bible who, do, who dealt with transitions, it did not seem to affect them because their walk with God was so close that the things going on around them didn't really seem to affect them that much. And, and the greatest transition that we can make is that of our eternal salvation. See, we may not have many things in common with one another, as God uses our lives in different directions, but we can have something in common, and that is the Lord. The fact that, we, that we'll that be in heaven, Okay, no separation, no divisions or pain, no sorrow. This is what God says, not me. And what he says stands. See, when Christ enters the sheepfold, see, every sheepfold is, is different from one another. But when Christ enters that sheepfold, everything becomes the same. And if if you want to stand with him, well, then here's your chance. See, we have to remember that tomorrow is never guaranteed. But eternity is guaranteed. And it's guaranteed when we receive his son, Christ Jesus, into our hearts. And again, this is his word. This is what he said. So and again, I, I just love, I can't wait, as we venture through the Bible together, that, you know, over the years as I've taught it, and I've told people that, you know, it's going to be amazing to know that when we're up there, we're going to be able to talk to all these people, and, and, and to basically have conversation with them. We're going to know one another. And, and I think to myself, like, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that? Now, I know there's a lot of people who are going to be shocked about certain people who are in heaven. And and I got to say that uh, you know hey I'm shocked that I'm going myself but I just praise God and I thank God that he that he not only allowed allowed me to be a part of him but wanted me to be a part of him just as he wants you to be a part of him. So if you want him then I want to give you the opportunity. But you see, you have to be praying in, in, in true of heart here. You want to receive the Lord as your as your Lord and Savior. If you want eternal life, then I suggest you pray. You say this prayer after me, dear God. Please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me of my sins, Lord. Father, I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner, and I ask, Lord, that you would wash me of all my sins, Lord. And Lord, I thank you and I praise you for sending your son to die for my sins, Lord. And Lord, I accept you into my heart, Lord, as my father and my savior. And Lord, I thank you for receiving me, Lord, into your kingdom. For Lord, I am yours now, Lord, and you are mine. Father, I love you, I praise you. And I receive you, Lord, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Well, again, it's always a blessing to have you. It's always a blessing to know that uh, that you're seeking his word and that you're seeking him. So together may we continue in strength and together may we continue in truth. And as always, for prayer uh, prayer requests, please visit the prayer tower as part of the prayer ministry. And please know that every one of you are loved and every one of you are prayed for. And again, as, as I may never get a chance to meet you in person, I want to be, be able to know you in eternity. And for those who have received the Lord and who are those who have walked, I pray that, uh, that you will continue in strength and in truth and that you will be equipped through what we're doing here. So again, may God bless you and keep you and your family. And may you walk into His straight path at all times. God bless you.